You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Merit Elizabeth. Merit is a Carolyn Coston certified eating disorder recovery coach based in Dallas, Texas. She specializes in the health and wellness of adolescent and young adult women. Merritt recently earned her master's degree in health promotion management and also has her own private coaching practice. Merritt has two Cavalier King Charles Spaniels who she absolutely adores. In this episode, we dive into what it was like for Merritt to be a college student in recovery and how implementing mindfulness techniques helped her healing. Together, we discuss the importance of making yourself a priority through self-care, gratitude, yoga, and even morning and night routines. If you have trouble making yourself a priority, I promise that this episode is for you. Hey, Merritt, how are you today? Hello, I'm good. I'm so happy to be here and to see you. Oh, I'm so happy to see you as well. And thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, I'm flattered. Your guests are really amazing. Well, you are absolutely amazing as well. And the world needs to know who you are, which is why I invited (laughs) you on this show. And for everyone listening, Merit was the first CCI eating disorder recovery coach I met in person, which is out of this world because I became certified during the pandemic. I made all these coaching friends virtually, like, and Claire and Nia Finlay. And then I was in Dallas visiting my sister and Merritt and I connected and we ended up getting dinner one night. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm actually finally meeting other coaches in real life, which is so cool. So anyway, Merritt, you do have that honor of being the first coach I've met in person. That's crazy. I completely forgot about that. I'm honored. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it was fabulous. Such a nice time. It's just the best experience to meet someone who's trained in the same training you are and is so passionate about coaching as I am. It's been really fun getting to know you so far. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we connected on. Just the fact that we're both so passionate about eating disorder recovery and how we can help people in the community. Yeah, I completely agree. So it's a total delight to have you on here today. And I wanted to start with hearing more about your own recovery journey. So could you share a little bit about your own lived experience and then how you became a CCI certified coach? Yeah, so I think my journey really starts when I was 14, 15, when I developed an eating disorder. It was completely driven by social media, low self-esteem. I very much had type A perfectionist personality. I struggled with OCD and anxiety too. And it really intensified in college. I finally told my family and got treatment, but I didn't really identify with my treatment team because no one had shared experience. 
I felt like no one on my team really, really understood what I was going through. Like they got it, but they didn't have that edge of being recovered. And so I was extremely fortunate in having a family that I could call for support and that really pushed me to recover. I started my personal healing journey, discovering the powers of yoga, visualization, and just so many different ways to retrain my brain and my behaviors. So I ended up graduating early in active recovery, and I went on to start a life in LA in the fashion industry. And at the same time, I was volunteering as a peer mentor for women in college with eating disorders. And I really felt a calling to help others recover. So I pivoted my career I to Southern Methodist University in Dallas, where I completed my undergraduate studies to earn a Master of Science in Health Promotion Management and the Carolyn Coston Institute certification, which we both share. Sarah Lee was not only the point person who really inspired me to earn the certification, but she also became my mentor and now just a, a really wonderful friend. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's so amazing. College can be so difficult, but it's really exciting when you can discover when you're going through something, having that feeling like, I know that I'm going to end up helping people mm-hmm. get through this one day. I know I definitely experienced that too. Yeah. And it feels amazing being able to give back and such fulfilling work that we do. I wanted to shout out to Sarah Lee also, because she was the second coach I met in person. I met her the same day you and I met. So she's the best. She's the best. Yes. Oh my gosh. So what was it like for you in college struggling with an eating disorder? Like what was challenging about that for you? College was insanely fun. And I'm still best friends with so many of the people that I met first semester of college, but it was also so challenging with a hidden eating disorder. And I'm naturally perfectionist and super competitive. And my friends, they had no idea how much I was struggling. And to be honest, I didn't know how much they were struggling with their own issues too, because I was so focused and in my own eating disorder world. I didn't struggle with academics, even when I was struggling the most, but I struggled every day with body image, low self-esteem and anxiety that came from the social pressure and hiding my eating disorder. And I think getting the good grades was really my escape to not feel the feelings of my eating disorder, right? It also came from lack of sleep, not incorporating all of the food groups that I should have been incorporating and partying, to be honest. Greek life was really competitive. And so many people in my sorority were struggling with eating disorders, anxiety and depression, but no one was really talking about it. And so no one was really getting help. Spring break was chaotic. The lead up from January, it was double workouts daily, taking stimulants, restricting. The anxiety on campus was, it was palpable amongst every girl on campus. Trying to schedule my classes too and not be discovered for when I would leave for treatment was really stressful. I was really overwhelmed and I hated lying to my friends. And honestly, I was really angry that I, no one else quote unquote had to do this, or at least that's how I felt. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that detail. I was also in Greek life, definitely not SMU status, Greek life. It was like low key, <laughs> low key, non-competitive University of Connecticut Greek life. Like it's not a huge thing out in, it is a huge thing for a lot of people. And it was a big deal for me going through it, but that was the height of my eating disorder too. Cause it's mm-hmm. so chaotic and 
looks focused and I really struggled. So what was it like for you? Did you know that other people were also experiencing eating disorders or did you guys just not talk at all? I think I felt super alone. And part of the reason I didn't know if anyone else was struggling was because I wasn't really reaching out to other people. I wasn't involved in a support group. And like I said, too, I, with my treatment providers, they hadn't experienced an eating disorder before either. So I felt super alone and I wasn't comfortable reaching out to other people to talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. And when you were sneaking around to go to treatment, was this outpatient and things like that? IOP. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That must add to the isolation, right? Just being, having to lie to your friends and not really explain to them why you're always disappearing regularly throughout the week and all of that. It was isolating. I felt super alone. And looking back on it now, I, so many other people were struggling. And so that's something I talk about a lot in my work with people is you have to reach out. You have to reach out and take that chance. That's how we recover. Human connection. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I'm just really hooked on this college like subject real quick. And I know I didn't prep you for this, but what was it like with the partying environment and having an eating disorder? Because for me, partying was a huge distraction in college. Mm -hmm. And it definitely contributed to the struggle. Mm -hmm. It was a huge distraction and a huge escape, right? Like I don't have to worry about the eating disorder when I'm partying. And so it was really a big challenge trying to fit in recovery. And I think ultimately I had to make a sacrifice. I had to say, I can't go out and be with friends in this way late at night because I won't be able to complete my meal plan. I won't be able to complete the recovery goals that I've set for myself It's really hard now with partying in the college culture because a lot of people on campus, they won't eat throughout the day to save calories for the alcohol at night. So it creates this huge problem where the restrict binge purge cycle comes in. Mm -hmm. It's like rule number one of safe drinking is to make sure you're eating so that the alcohol doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks because you haven't had food. So that just amplifies the issue, which is horrible. And I can see the nature of my eating disorder was really chaotic and my recovery was extremely chaotic. So I did not have a meal plan, but I could see how having a meal plan on a college campus and then getting sideswept by these huge social events, all of these parties, I could see how it would almost be destabilizing like every weekend to be in that environment. Would you say that's true? Yeah, it was. (laughs) (laughs) The two don't coincide, eating disorder recovery and being partying on a college campus, or at least that's what I thought. Now doing this work, I know there are ways to recover absolutely on college campuses. That's really inspiring to know. And I know that the college experience really lacks a lot of mindfulness and like groundedness. And I know when I was going through recovery, I didn't know anything about having a daily routine or incorporating mindfulness into Mm -hmm. my life or even spirituality. And I know that's a huge part of what you teach your clients and also part of your life. Did you start to discover that stuff in college? What did that look like? 
So when I started on the path of recovery, especially when I was doing this independently, I had to commit to new daily practices to rewiring my mind. And so I think that I started with doing something for my mind, body and soul every day. And so I had to commit to this work and students today are talking about mental health, thank God. So opening up to your roommate or a friend and saying, here is my struggle. It would be super helpful if you could support me by doing this or that. That's how you build your support system, your emotional resilience. And that's what I did to help me in recovery. And so I think my three pillars now of recovery care are awareness, mindset, and nourishment. And awareness really means finding that mind-body connection. And so you can find awareness through movement, like positive movement, like yoga, journaling, meditation, mindset, you have to practice living the life that you desire. And so every night before bed, every morning, when I woke up, I would visualize the person that I wanted to be recovered. Mm -hmm. And so the way I practice this now is by setting intentions every morning and keeping in mind my affirmations for the day. Nourishment, your brain needs nutrients, and you have to have regularly scheduled meals and regular hydration. And so this is what I learned on my own path to recovery in college. And so this is what I teach my clients now. I love that so much. And I always try to get help my clients with the vision piece as well, making sure our first session is really getting clear on what that recovered version of you looks like. So I love to hear that you were doing that actively in your recovery in college. And I know that it's so hard to stick to routine in that environment. So I absolutely love that. Why are these mindfulness techniques important in recovery? I think that you have to learn to enjoy the present. You have to learn to sit and feel your emotions. I was so used to numbing out with eating disorder behaviors that I had no emotions. I remember I was never excited for anything. I was never sad about anything or angry. I was so numb. And we have to start feeling our feelings and being so present in the moment, being so consciously aware of what we're experiencing in order to recover. I had to purposely walk instead of sprint at the gym so I could really experience just being mindful, being present. I had to begin meditating to really understand stillness. And I had to start learning to eat consciously instead of racing through a meal just to get it done. We have to learn to be present in order to recover. Mm -hmm. I really do admire those examples you give. Just being on the treadmill and walking. Mm -hmm slowing down with your meal. That's just really great examples of how people are just rushing through life kind of aimlessly without any intention at all. And those are small things people can do to start building that awareness up and that mind-body connection up. Yeah, definitely. It's in eating disorder recovery, what we need to do is just be present, just take it all in, not just exist. We want to thrive in life. Mm -hmm. So what was it like for you when you started implementing these mindfulness practices into your life? Well, I started noticing a change in how I showed up in my life. Mm -hmm. I was happier. I was a better listener. I was kinder. And so this is what I do in my life now. We have to start with gratitude, taking five minutes to be grateful, to wake up and say to yourself what you're grateful for. It doesn't have to be any big routine. You can do it in the shower. 
but that's how I'm present. That's how I show up for people now in my life is really incorporating that practice of gratitude. Is that your main practice now or do you do other things as well? Well, I would say, yeah, absolutely. I practice gratitude. I think I purposely won't schedule clients in the morning because mornings are sacred for me. So I use that time to go for a walk, check in with my family, make a hot tea, meditate, just really take time for myself to be present and stay off social media, stay away from work and yeah, just be present. You're already inspiring me to book less morning calls. I know that I usually like to front end my days and do morning calls, but Mm -hmm. I do find that if I don't wake up early, I don't get the journaling time in that meditation time in. Mm -hmm. And I like that you prioritize that and actually block out that time in your schedule, which sounds really freaking nice. And I should probably take a page out of your book. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I said morning, but I do the same thing with my evening. Mm -hmm. I'm not taking on clients past 7 p.m. I need time in the morning at time at night to be present, to slow down and to check in with myself. And that's the only way that I don't get burnt out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is it like to check in with yourself? What does that look like? Because I hear that phrase all the time. And is there a way you can explain what that is? Checking in with yourself. I think it might look different for everybody. But for me, it means putting away my iPad, my computer, my phone. And sometimes I set timers because I have crazy days. And so I'll literally set a five minute timer and I just will sit down, think about what I'm thinking about, do a little meditation and just be present. Like I keep saying, that's how I check in with myself Mm -hmm. and asking myself what I need, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Asking yourself, what do I need is critical in recovery and in life. And I think that's something I really ignored growing up. And also in my recovery process, it's funny. I learned how to ask myself, what do I need when it came to food? And then I mastered like intuitive eating and food freedom. But I found years after, I was not asking myself, what do I need in other areas? So if anyone's in that boat, just remember, you need to constantly check in with yourself. Ask yourself, what do I need? Not just food, but what do I need emotionally? What do I want? What's important to me? And what your answers are matter. You know, those answers are valid. And so... I'm kind of like like feeling inspired to share this, but whenever I check in with myself, I always have to go back to validating my needs and my emotions. And usually through journaling is how I do it too. I love that. I would say I'm more into meditation at the moment than journaling, but maybe you're inspiring me to (laughs) get out my journal. (laughs) Well, I've been journaling because I just found that I need to continuously always check in with my emotions. And so the journaling helps me write down how I'm feeling and validating the feelings. Like I say the things I wish other people would say to me. Like I'm just like validating my own feelings and thoughts. And meditation, I'm a huge fan of it too. But I do find that it comes in waves. I didn't journal consistently for years. It was more meditation. And then I transitioned kind of ebbs and flows depending on what stage in life you're in, I think. Oh, I get that. Yeah. I think mindfulness looks different at every stage in life. For me, mindfulness probably looks different every week. 
Yeah, exactly. So that, that actually brings up a really good point. I hear so many people talk about like morning routines, mm-hmm. evening routines, and I've definitely tried to make a routine and I've stuck with them for maybe a few weeks at a time, but sometimes I get off the bandwagon. There's so much hype around specifically morning routines. Do you recommend morning routines and do they need to be super strict or precise? No, definitely not. And I love that question because routine and consistency is so important in eating disorder recovery. But the goal of a morning routine or an evening routine is it doesn't have to be the exact same thing every day. The goal is to start and end your day on a positive note. Start your day with gratitude for what you have right here and right now. Make a promise to yourself that you can commit to finding the positive in your day, creating a goal for the day that's attainable and that you can congratulate yourself later in the evening. Mm-hmm. And not everyone has time for a morning yoga flow. And that's okay. Maybe take five minutes to do deep breathing, right? The four square breathing. If you can get through four cycles of that, I guarantee you'll be feeling a little bit better. If you don't have time for your gratitude journal, then think of three things you're grateful for while you take a shower. It's not about taking hours and hours of your time to do anything or to do the same thing every day. It's simply about starting your day and ending your day on a positive note. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you articulated that because I know when I first heard of morning routines, I thought they had to be the same thing every day because that's what I think of routine, right? Mm -hmm. Like routine. Okay, I'm going to do 10 minutes of journaling and then 10 minutes of meditation. And then I'm going to do a 10 minute yoga session and that's 30 minutes and I'm the best. And (laughs) And I'm going to mindfully drink my coffee and have breakfast. And I could see how people with eating disorders can turn it into a rigid practice. But what I'm hearing from you is that It's more about in the moment, asking yourself, what do I need to do to be present and feel good? Mm -hmm. And if you set it up in a super rigid way, you're setting yourself up to feel like a failure later on if you can't get it done that day. But Mm -hmm. it's more about just taking five minutes, 10 minutes to check in with yourself, to be present, to meditate, whatever it is for you. Mm, Yes. Okay. That's such a good point too. Like if we set our standards too high for these practices, then we're going to beat ourselves up if we can't achieve them. So it's important to just keep in mind a little bit of flexibility and self-compassion. Yeah, we have to be realistic. And so maybe me scheduling an hour for myself in the morning and waiting to book clients until after that isn't realistic for other people. And that's okay. Maybe your morning routine looks like five minutes. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what happens for you when you miss your daily practice? What happens? Just curious. I definitely feel stressed. I have to, in order to control anxiety, in order to control feeling burnt out, especially from this job, I have to give myself that five, 10 minutes. I prioritize it every single day. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason that it can't happen if I'm making myself a priority. Yes. Oh my gosh. I want to just print that across the sky for everyone just to remind them that it's okay to make yourself a priority. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
seriously it is. It's so important. And I know collectively there's so many people who struggle with that. And five minutes in your day of making yourself a priority is going to help you in the long run and feel more grounded and ready to face recovery throughout the day. Right. And it's not just about you. When you make yourself a priority, you show up better for everyone else in your life. You show up better at work. You show up better for your family, for your friends. Mm, That's a really nice reminder and a helpful reframe. Just for those who might see making yourself a priority as selfish, how is it selfish if it actually helps the people around you, right? It's not selfish to take that time for yourself because it makes you better to be around for your family and your colleagues and your boss. You're probably bringing more joy and peace with your presence than you would otherwise. Right. Because I know for me, if I don't take that time in the morning for myself, I am not the most kind, compassionate person I can be throughout the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So true. So true. So what do you think people can do to create like a mindfulness or spirituality practice in their own life? Like if they're starting from nothing, this is totally news to them that this is a reality, this is a possibility. What would you say are the first steps to doing this? Well, I would say meditation and that can look like walking outside. It can look like laying down in your bed on the couch, whatever works to help you stop listening to the negative voice in your head and really connect with your breath for just a few minutes each day. That's where I would start. And we've learned now through MRIs of the brain that just five minutes of meditation can literally change the neural pathways in the brain. So that practice is so important. And guided meditation from a voice on an app, it can lead you into total relaxation and joy literally within minutes. And it helps with anxiety so much. And if you commit to regular meditation of any form, your brain begins to crave it. And I want people to know that there are other voices in their head besides the one telling you you're not good enough. You have voices of wisdom, compassion, and love. You have to listen, tap in through meditation. And there's so many great meditation apps these days too. I know there's Calm, Headspace, Meditation Studio, the Mindfulness app, or go on YouTube. That's how I listen to most of my meditations for a free option too. YouTube is awesome. So did you start with the guided meditations when you were getting your feet wet with recovery and all that? Yeah. And personally, that's just what I like best. That works for me. I like hearing a constant voice. But for some people, they would rather meditate through listening to rain sounds or even silence, but I, I need that guided voice. That's what really helps me connect to my inner self. Mm, I really love that because maybe I've made this up in my head, but I feel like some meditation gurus look down on guided meditations because you're not connecting so deeply with yourself. You're like listening to a voice. But I find if it's dead silent, if it's a little bit more difficult for me to fully connect, especially if I'm having like an anxiety day where the, the brain is just racing. Mm-hmm. I think meditation is about you and only you know what works best. Only you know how to really connect with yourself. Mm-hmm. It's such a helpful reminder. I personally love affirmations. Do you listen to affirmations, audios at all? I don't. So is, do you listen on Spotify or is it like a 
channel? (laughs) Well, you can look on YouTube. So if you need like self-love affirmations or if you need, I don't know, like worthiness affirmations or whatever, Mm -hmm. you can go on YouTube and sometimes there are some recordings. I -hmm. actually will write the affirmations I want to hear and make my own recorded affirmations recordings to help rewire my brain to the positive because I think it can get easily wired and cemented in like the negative thinking. So I find affirmations, meditations are really helpful for me to just remind me of my worth and my value when starting the day. And that's been really helpful too. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is so cool. That must be so powerful for your clients too. Does anyone ask you if there's like another way for people that hate listening to their own voice? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like it can be really weird to listen to your own voice at first, Mm -hmm. but I also get the opposite feedback, which is it was actually really empowering to hear myself saying those things. So maybe if you think more openly about, Oh, it's really cool that I'm hearing myself say these things I want to believe, but yeah, that's tough. But that's why you can also listen to guided meditations and affirmations on YouTube that you just find that some really soothing voice is saying for you. Right. Okay. (laughs) Well, I love the idea of you recording it to yourself because that probably really helps you to believe there is a healthy self inside of you. There is that wise mind. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It is really cool. I need to do that more often. Okay. So your recommendation for anyone new is starting with basic meditation, whether that's guided or just stillness or silence, any other steps like besides that, that you would say would be a good intro to mindfulness? Yoga was something that was really powerful for me in college when I first discovered it. It was a really great emotional release. Mm. And so I prefer hot yoga. Some people prefer unheated. There are so many different types of yoga that can speak to different people. So it's really about your preference. But I think yoga is for everyone. I think it's amazing. And I think it helped me release built up emotions. Mm. What about yoga helped you release your emotions? Well, yoga, you're getting into these difficult poses and you're stretching and it's hard. And at the end, you feel so happy. You're so connected to your body. You're so proud of yourself. And I really honored my strength in that practice. I still do. I still love yoga. And so for me, it's really mindful. It's amazing. And it's totally focused on body positivity in the room, no one is comparing their bodies to each other. This is about you and the mat. Mm -hmm. I can completely see that because in that moment, you are so in your body, you can't really do the practice if your mind's on what other people look like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very helpful. Very, very helpful advice. And I love the idea of yoga because it connects people with eating disorders a little bit more closely to their body and helps them build up a little bit of compassion. If a pose doesn't feel comfortable, you can make adjustments and you listen to your, you learn to listen to your body more. Yes. And yoga is where I learned to listen to my body. And now that's what I do in other workouts too, that 
maybe aren't yoga, I won't do an exercise if I don't want to do it, if it's uncomfortable or, or if it doesn't speak to me. And that is how I honor my body and what it wants and what it's comfortable and not comfortable doing. Mm, yes. Very good point. So you've shared so much about mindfulness and spirituality and daily routines. What advice do you have for people who suck at sticking with routine? <laughs> and I know compassion is probably a big one, but you're like, what's the advice you have? I think you have to remember that like we were saying before, the goal is that you don't have to do the exact same thing every day. Like what you were saying with, I'll do 10 minutes of this and 10 minutes of this, and then it will end up being 30 minutes. Don't think like that. Think of it as I'm going to take 10 minutes for myself every morning to be present, to do whatever helps me be mindful, to do whatever helps me connect to my soul, to feel at peace. And think of it like that instead. Take 10 minutes for yourself every morning. Set an, a reminder in your phone if you need to. Yes. Set a reminder on your phone. Even time yourself if you have to. Just take that time. Yeah, take that time. Write a sticky note on your bedside table, like 10-minute morning routine. Mm. Have you read the book, Atomic Habits? Yes, I love it. <laughs> okay, so you're familiar with the book. They talk about habit stacking, which I love which I know we didn't plan to talk about in this call today. But what they say is if there is a new habit you want to incorporate, so maybe it's meditation, you put a reminder of meditation near something that's already embedded in your morning. So for instance, you might put that sticky note about meditation next to your coffee maker. So it's like mm -hmm. while you're making coffee, you see that reminder and you're like, ah, I'm going to go meditate now. Or maybe it's like putting your yoga mat by the door. So when you come back in from walking your dog, you see the yoga mat right there and you take five, 10 minutes to like breathe on the mat. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to tell people that. That's really helpful. <laughs> Good book. Merit, you have just been so helpful and inspiring. I know that so many listeners are going to be excited to think about how they're going to spend tomorrow morning. People who wake up and decide today's the day I'm going to just take 10 minutes to myself, which I hope so. <laughs> so great. Just to wrap things up and leave listeners with some words of wisdom, what would you say are the most important pieces of advice or wisdom that you can share to those going through recovery right now? I think just know that it is so possible to recover. My struggle lasted seven years and here I am today as a coach helping people recover. So just know that it is so possible to recover. And it starts with you. Make yourself your highest priority and know that you deserve recovery and you can absolutely do it if you put your mind to it. I think we might have to name this episode something about making yourself a priority. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the main message that we're sharing with the world right now, which is so imperative to those who are in recovery. But I know that people are going to cringe when they think about making themselves a priority a little bit because it's so foreign for many people in 
recovery, but I just love the way you so strongly recommend that. Yeah. Make yourself a priority so you can show up for other people in your life. That's the way you have to think of it. Mm -hmm. Really good advice there. Okay. If you are looking around the room right now and you were to do a gratitude practice, what would be three things that you are grateful for in this moment? So I can look around the room, right? Okay. Yeah, look around the room. Oh my God. There's so many. I, (laughs) this is hard. (laughs) Okay. okay. I'm looking at, I'm looking at photographs of my friends and family. So I'm going to be really basic and say my friends and family as number one. I'm at my desk. And so there's a lot of my work around me. So my work, what I do, I'm so grateful for this job. And I'm looking at you and I'm so grateful that I've met you and that I get a chance to be on the podcast. So you're going to be my number three. Oh my gosh. Thank you. That's so great. (laughs) I feel so happy and lighter just hearing even someone else share their gratitudes. You're so sweet. (laughs) So how can listeners find you or work with you if they want to pursue you as a coach or get to know your work? So it's super simple. My website is Merit Elizabeth Recovery. My Instagram is Merit Elizabeth Recovery. And my email is Merit Elizabeth Recovery at gmail.com. Very simple. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Merit, for being on the show. And I hope you have a beautiful day. I will. Thank you. 